Welcome to Exploring the Divine Feminine. I'm your host, Ramona Sidaway, and this is episode number six. We discuss all things related to the feminine divine, mostly within the context of the restored Church of Jesus Christ. So let's get started. Hi, today I wanted to talk about women archetypes in the scriptures. Sometimes as we're trying to look for who our Heavenly Mother is, um, we do the same things with Heavenly Father and with Jesus Christ. We look at archetypes in the scriptures, especially for Jesus Christ as he is our high priest. And we look at those people in the scriptures that represent the Savior. Um, and we can find a lot of those and we, we can do the same with women. I know there's this, sometimes it's a worry for people, but it's not really a worry about why there are fewer women. I mean, if we look at it just culturally, of course it was, there were more patriarchal societies in the terms of that they, the societies were ruled by the fathers, but we're going to especially in the next few weeks, look at a few female archetypes that can help us get a better idea of who our Heavenly Mother is. Um, Eve was a very classic one. If you want to look and see, that would that's a great one to start with. But let's go into the Book of Mormon. Now, readers who are familiar with the Book of Mormon know that it was a military man and a prophet who edited and compiled the Book of Mormon. He, Mormon had a cave full of Nephite records to go through and choose to include in this compilation, but he knew, um, and we know from his records, that none of, none of those records were meant for his fellow Nephites nor for the Lamanites, but for a day that um, the Lord showed him in visions, and it was for us, for our day. And in Mormon 8.35, he told us, he said, Behold, I speak unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know your doing. So when we look at that, and we see what was included in the Book of Mormon, what was not included, it should cause us to take notice of a society and a culture that was more male focused. And yet so many of these prophets included details about women, which I find fascinating. And so that's, that means that we need to pay attention to that archetype. Why was this particular woman included in these, this edited portion of the Nephite records? So, um, also, you know, as we look at the Book of Mormon, there's so many war chapters, and that's been discussed over and over in the Sunday school classes and personal scripture time, um, and we know the very basic archetype for that, the war between good and evil. So, um, but as we look to the female archetypes, so at first glance, we, it, it may seem like a very simple scenario. We have a male compiler. He has a strong military background. And if we just look at, just have a cursory glance, it may appear that it was solely his life experiences and gender that played a role. 
in his decisions. But when, when, and if we do that, we miss the most important callings he had at that time as well. And that was as a prophet of God and as a keeper of records, those two, those were God given callings. Um, the military one was in part um, from Heavenly Father because, you know, he was instructed to help as much as he could his Nephite brethren. But the such as like a keeper of records, that calling in and of itself was, is so sacred. And it was so sacred that it had to be handed down to someone that was very trustworthy. And in the case of Mormon, somebody sober. That's what the previous record keeper had um, said to him. And someone who was willing and ready to listen to the Lord, because these rec records down through the centuries were incredibly sacred, so much that they had to be protected. In fact, Mormon's task at the end was probably the most difficult and dangerous because the records had been hidden up before he gained access so that they would be protected from destruction by wicked men. So um, he had, he found them. Wait a minute, let's back up. Sorry. So they had to be protected from, from destruction, right? So that in that sense, we know the incredible sacredness and the important importance of those records and the power that those records must have been able to bring to man as they read them. So it's not just the Lamanites wanting to cancel out a culture that they were bent on destroying. They, they killed every Lamanite they could find, and they wanted to destroy that culture. And we've seen that throughout world history, that that's what a conquering nation will do. Though a lot of times they will try to destroy the culture. So he was... Um, the successor, Mormon, was chosen when he was only nine years old. That tells you a lot about this particular man, this particular individual. So let's fast forward. This child grows up. He's super serious. He's spiritual. He's sober. And he's emerged in an era of great wickedness and chaos. In fact, that was all he had known his entire life growing up. And it seemed like he had lived with a sword longer than without and um, he fought for his family, for his kindred, and he knew it was a losing battle, but he gave it his all just the same. So when the time comes, he uncovers the records and he moves them to another location and begins the task of condensing and comp compiling from this incredible stash of records into a smaller book, um, of which more than half of what Joseph Smith found was actually sealed and Joseph Smith was commanded not to translate that portion. So we only have a small portion uh, that has actually been translated and think of the power in just that small amount. So with all of this background in mind, um, this prophet is tasked with a sacred task, choosing what to compress, what to include and about whom. So um, our original question, 
you know, why all the war chapters and why so few women. Number one, he's a prophet first and includes things he is spiritually impressed to do so. So we, we have to remember that these are things he's spiritually impressed to include. Number two, uh, the fact that he includes less women than war, it actually works so much in our favor because it gives us an incredible tool and insight into what message and lesson that he and the Lord are trying to send us. So we're going to just completely skip the war question, right? Let's jump right into the, the women question. So when Mormon does include narratives about women, it's a signal and a sign for us to sit up straight and take notice. Because, I mean, think about it. A lot of people just glaze over the war ones because it's there's so much. And, um, I mean, we read it carefully in the sense of that it's scripture. But we need to do the opposite with the women's. Like, if you see any mention of women in there, you need to take notice. Uh, why? Um, we ask, why is this particular story or woman important enough to stand out among and make the cut out of all of those sacred records in that cave, right? There must be something very important and sacred that Mormon and the Lord would want us to take away from it. And just a quick glance over the female chapters won't suffice. So LDS scholars, they've discovered something really cool in the Book of Mormon. Um, and this is Ben. I mean, I started reading essays from the 90s. So it's been a while. But um, in the Book of Mormon, they have found that it is full of type scenes. Now, what are type scenes? Well, you've probably heard of or studied archetypes, right? So an archetype is a recurrent symbol or motif. So when we read about an experience or person in the scriptures, they are almost always a symbol for a larger principle. Okay, just remember that they are almost always a symbol for a larger principle or mo motif. So we look at a classic example, uh, of course, is Abraham. He's being, he's commanded to sacrifice his son, Isaac. He's about to do so when a ram in the thicket is provided for that sacrifice in Isaac's stead. We see the symbolism of Jesus Christ as an offering in our stead for our sins and heartaches. So we, we see that symbolism. It's, it's a pretty obvious one. So with that in mind, all of the stories of, well, just basically all the stories, but especially the stories of the women in the Book of Mormon, they become very, very exciting. So let's start with Abish. We're going to take her as an example. So in Alma 18 and 19, we read the story of King Lamoni, his queen, and Abish. Um, Abish is a servant of the queen who joined the church earlier because of a vision. And just a real quick note on the vision. Uh, this in and of itself is fascinating because the wording of that is such as that she's the one who had the vision and it was of her father. Now, whether it was of her earthly father who had passed away or her heavenly father, but it was probably of her earthly father, right? 
um, some people have interpreted that or trans or have understood that to mean that her father had a vision. And so the, maybe the family was joined, uh, joined the church, but the wording doesn't lead that to that way. It, it's that she had a vision. So number one, women are given revelation and visions. Amazing. Right. I mean, it's, it's obvious, but it's, it's, it's great. So Lamoni, he believes Ammon's preaching and he falls down into a trance. Well, the queen, even after two days and nights, she does not think that the king is really dead and she sends for Ammon. And when he arrives, he preaches and he to the queen and promises that her husband will rise, that he in fact is not dead. She trusts him and believes Ammon. And she says something in response that is our first signal for us to pay attention. She says, quote, or I'm sorry, that Ammon says, he says something that's our first signal. He said, blessed art thou because of thy exceeding faith. I say unto thee, woman, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites. That's Alma 1910. So the king wakes up the appointed time that Ammon promises, and he bears his testimony of the birth of the Messiah, which that's another topic we can talk about was where he talks about that he would be born of a woman. I, I just think it's amazing that he would even say that because that seems like an obvious thing. How would you be born without a woman? But we'll, we could go into that on another podcast. Then the king reaches for the hand of the queen and they both fall into a trance. Now enter Abish. And um, this is in verses 29 and 30 of, of 19. If you want to read that, she comes, um, she wants people to see this scene and hopefully they will join the church. But of course, they start bickering and she gets she gets concerned. So she reaches down, takes the hand and raises the queen, meaning the queen wakes up when Abish touches her and takes her hand. Now, Abish is another faith, um, Abish and the queen. Um, the queen is another righteous and faithful Lamanite woman. She may not be uh, have have joined the church yet. But she is faithful, and um, we contrast that narrative with the other queen of, sorry, it left my head, who she wanted the prophets killed when her husband fell in a trance. So there's always there's almost always contrasting narratives in the scriptures, and those you're to pay attention to. So the queen, she in turn raises her husband, the king, right? Now, this story of Abish and her queen is considered a type scene that, according to uh, two scholars, Kevin and Shauna Christensen, is, quote, a prophetic prefiguring not only of the resurrection of Christ, but also of the role of women in that event, close quote. Does that not just want to blow your socks off? That is just, um, that's deep. That's amazing. That's beautiful. The role that women have, righteous women 
have in the role of the resurrection. And the resurrection needs keys of the priesthood. Now, I'm not saying what that role is. This is a type scene. This is an archetype. This is something for us to mull over and just recognize that it is incredibly sacred and powerful. Mormon includes that in his compilation, in his editing. So if we think about that also, think about the temple for those that have been through the temple. Now, this type scene also attaches that particular moment to a larger theological meaning. So and this is where we get into Heavenly Mother. So in almost every Near Eastern and ancient religion, there's a strong motif of, of the goddess with her God or, you know, the, with her husband. Um, it's a motif of the goddess or consort. Sometimes they're called the consort having a strong and important role to play in the resurrection of her husband, the God. So we're looking at just, um, a, a variety of different religions who all carry with them the, some of the basic, um, they share basic motifs and we need to read those and listen with, um, just with our eyes open. So um, do we want, do you want to hear a stronger example of this archetype and type scene? This one's my favorite, my absolute favorite. Let's look at the reunion of Jesus and Mary at the tomb, the morning of the resurrection. Now, before Christ even ascends to report to his heavenly father, who's the God and father of us all, the God and father of Christ. When he's resurrected, he does not go first to heavenly father. He waits for Mary. Just think about that. Why would he do that? That's left in the scriptures. What archetype, what type scene does this represent? He does not speak with one of his apostles first, not even Peter, who will now take his place as president of his church. They come, they go. Mary stays. Then he appears to her. And first and foremost, he appears to her and before he leaves to report to Heavenly Father. Now, in the Latter-day Saint culture, we believe, or some of us believe, that Mary possibly was more than just a very important woman slash disciple to Christ. We believe that it was possible that they were actually married. Now, whether they were or weren't, it's, uh, it's not as important, um, but this would help make more sense in this scenario. So there's, there's no scriptural proof that we have so far. And um, there is some in, um, um, in the uh, scriptures that have come, have come forth, like in the forties, the pseudographer, or I'm not even sure how you say that, but um, in different, in the Nagamati, I think scriptures as well, but there's some others that are not canonized, let's say in the scriptures that we have now. But um 
so as as right now what the canonized scriptures we have right now there's no scripture proof and it's not doctrinal but this would make sense in this theme of a god needing the ministrations of his female half now exactly what went on and what was said what was done we only have a very brief picture of that and um when he says hold me not there's been different understandings of what that means um and if you look at a basic movie that's been made about the bible they take that to mean oh that she couldn't hug him or hold him right because he for for whatever reason but um others have have thought that this if you're looking at the greek translations that this means don't don't hold me back like don't don't make it such that i cannot leave i have to go and report to heavenly father so um that shows how close they are they're incredibly close and have a close relationship stories like these um attracted the attention of mormon uh, the stories of abish and other women and he obviously obviously saw larger theological patterns in them so watching the roles of women and men in this abish abish story demonstrate not only patterns of a greater whole but the partnership between men and women so both are given great priesthood power and receive great revelations and spiritual experiences. We see also independence and interdependence between the two sexes. Women have an enormous part to play in this whole plan. Just huge. We have a powerful role in the priesthood. And it seems in the keys of resurrection and possibly other keys that have not been given will involve the women as well. Wow. Can you just say, wow, archetypes in the scriptures, female archetypes. We look at them, we study them, we pray about them, and we ask what motif is Mormon and the Lord trying to share with me about this particular narrative about this particular story about this person and we'll talk later uh, we'll bring more of these into this podcast but i just wanted to share that with you there is so much that is about our heavenly mother we've not been forgotten god did not forget us heavenly mother did not forget us he's not keeping her from us um i think more and more are, is going to be revealed and it's a pretty exciting idea thank you so much for joining me today and if if you can i would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast it means a lot to me when i know that you're listening i also have a website that i will be posting more blog entries about these topics and i'm also on medium.com until next time